Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening our eyes to a new view of life. I'm McKay Christensen, and I'm thrilled you joined us today. I hope that what you hear on this podcast today can be a blessing to you, and I hope it can help you open your eyes a bit more to who you are and who you can become. I mean, let's face it, you, me, we all need help keeping our view in life. So I hope this podcast can give you a new perspective, a fresh paradigm, and empower you with the tools to think and live better. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk to you about the butterfly effect in your life. Now, does it seem to you that our weather is getting more and more strange? Or have there always been strange weather patterns? We just didn't notice them as much as we do today. Are we more aware of these deviations to our weather because the news is always about the weather? Well, the experts disagree a bit on the answers to those questions, but there are weather patterns and they do impact our life in a number of ways. You've likely heard of El Nino and La Nina. How do these weather patterns work? Well, during normal conditions, you see, trade winds blow west along the equator, taking warm water from South America to Asia. And to replace the warm water, cold water then rises from underneath. And during El Nino, the trade winds are weaker. So the warm water stays near the Americas. And these warm waters push the jet streams south. So Texas and Louisiana, for example, are wetter and the northern U.S. is drier. During La Nina, the trade winds are stronger and push more warm water towards Asia. And this brings cold water to the surface. And this pushes the jet stream northward, making the southern states of the U.S. drier. And these are just two examples of weather patterns that we see across the globe. But the understanding of weather patterns is not an old science. In fact, it's only been in the last 60 to 70 years that we actually came to understand and predict weather patterns. You know, nowadays you can jump on your cell phone and pull up the 10-day weather forecast and see a relatively accurate picture of the next week and a half. But that was not always the case. And most of that changed with a man by the name of Joseph Henry. Joseph is famous because he was the first director of the Smithsonian Institute. And as the director, he felt it was his job to advance the understanding of the physical sciences. But understanding the weather and identifying possible patterns in the weather wasn't easy. First, he needed broad data. So he worked with the U.S. Navy to establish a network of hundreds of observation posts. At these posts, volunteers would collect the measurement of weather conditions. Temperature, humidity, wind, and clouds, rain and snow measurements, all of those things. Plus, he established telegraph stations to transmit this data, the weather reports. And he collected the weather data for five years and then published his findings. These were the first comprehensive data collections about weather in North America. And this didn't happen until the late 1950s. About the same time, Edward Lorenz was working at MIT. And Lorenz, who had worked as a weather forecaster during World War II, started to study this data and weather patterns. At MIT, he would prove that there were huge circulation patterns in the atmosphere and the oceans, and that they were interrelated. And with accurate weather data, Lorenz could start to do complex simulations of weather models and test those forecasting techniques 
against the actual weather across the country. Lorenz used 12 variables in the data to drive his forecast, including wind speed and temperature. He would enter the variables into his computer, and he discovered something that he didn't expect. His weather forecast was extremely sensitive to data input. For example, his computer worked to six-digit precision, but some of the weather data inputs were only rounded to three digits. And when he used this less precise data, the smallest discrepancy in the data input would cause his forecast of huge weather patterns to be significantly different. In other words, small changes in initial conditions produced large changes in results. It was then that Lorenz formed his theory called the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect is that a butterfly flapping its wings today can have an effect in creating a windstorm tomorrow. At first, Lorenz said a seagull flapping its wings would have such an effect, but for poetic reasons, he later changed it to a butterfly. In short, big weather patterns are impacted by the smallest changes elsewhere in the world. Now, the term butterfly effect has been used outside the context of weather science to mean any situation in which a small change can lead to the cause of larger consequences. And many areas in science have gone on to validate Lorenz and his butterfly effect theory. In scientific literature, it's known as the law of sensitive dependence upon initial conditions. It means that in nonlinear environments such as weather or humans or societies, one small change can result in large differences in a later state. In environments that are dependent on a lot of variables, small things make a difference. And if you and I examine our life, we can probably all identify certain small events that led to large outcomes or circumstances. We can likely see the butterfly effect in our life. One student at Penn State, after learning this theory at the beginning of a semester, went home and wrote out three simple conditions to anchor his semester on a track towards success. He wanted to get into shape, so he did 25 push-ups each day when he woke up. He wanted to get his mind right, so each day before leaving his apartment, he wrote on a whiteboard three things for which he was grateful. And he made it a rule to brush his teeth before he left his apartment each day. All small things. So what do you think the butterfly effect of this student's small actions might be later? Yes, the push-ups will help. The gratitude statements will give him a healthy emotional state to attack his studies and deal with the pressure of school. And brushing his teeth might help him get a date. But if we really thought about the possible butterfly effects, we may include things like he learned to establish habits that would grow into bigger habits later in life. Push-ups might lead to weightlifting which is where he meets his girlfriend in the gym, who would later become his wife, and so forth. The point is discrete systems like our life or well-being or our emotional state are sensitive to initial small conditions. In other words, the small things you and I do today can have a huge impact tomorrow. Stated even more clearly, the small things you decide to do today will change your future. Everything you do matters. Every move you make, every action you take, matters. In 1854, two Norwegian immigrants, Ole Olsen Dibbeveg and Solveig Rinde, left a small village 
in Son Ogfordane and moved to a small community near Cresco, Iowa. Can you imagine a move from Norway to Iowa? What a change. And in 1854, there wasn't much in Iowa. Well, three generations later, their great-grandchild, Borlaug, would soon be born. He was the first of four children three sisters would follow. There, from a very young age, he worked on the 106-acre family farm. He liked to hunt and fish, but most of the time was spent raising corn, oats, cattle, pigs, and chickens. He attended a one-room, one-teacher school from the first until the eighth grade. He would go on to Cresco High School where he would play sports, and his grandfather would encourage him to study, to fill his head rather than his belly. But wrestling was his sport, and he would get a scholarship to the University of Minnesota, and it financed his studies. In between school semesters, he was employed on federal projects. There, he saw people starving. And later, during the last few months of his schooling, he learned about a plant disease, a parasitic fungus that fed on wheat, oats, and barley. The teacher had discovered plant breeding methods to cause plants to be resistant to the fungus. This one presentation by a professor caused him to enroll at the university to study plant pathology and pursue his PhD. And this led him to become a microbiologist at DuPont, where he would research agricultural bactericides, fungicides, and preservatives. About the same time, the vice president of the United States, Henry Wallace, was bumped off the presidential ticket in favor of Harry Truman. And as the former secretary of agriculture, he was asked to help the Mexican government launch a huge effort in agricultural development. They needed U.S. scientists. So Wallace hired Borlaug as the new geneticist and plant pathologist in Mexico. There he spent his first 10 years breeding wheat that was resistant to disease. To do this, he made 6,000 individual crossings of wheat. He bred wheat to have shorter stalks, less resistance to breaking. He called it dwarfing. This changed the yield of wheat dramatically. The next year in Mexico, the harvest was six times larger than prior years due to Borlaug's efforts. Soon, the U.S. Department of Agriculture sent him to India. There, his inventions helped prevent hundreds of thousands of deaths from starvation. No one ever thought India could grow enough crops to feed their own population. But Borlaug's wheat was called a green revolution. The dramatic high yields led to a shortage of utilities. Not enough labor to harvest. Not enough carts to haul it. Not enough trucks, rail cars, and grain storage facilities. Some local governments were forced to close school buildings temporarily to use them for grain storage. This was the impact of his inventions. By the year 2000, India was harvesting 2.8 billion bushels of wheat. His efforts preserved much of India's landscape, preventing 100 million acres from being converted to farmland. And his work not only impacted India, but other countries around the world. For his contributions to the world food supply, Borlaug was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Norwegian officials notified his wife in Mexico City at 4 a.m., but Borlaug had already left for test fields. A chauffeur took her to the fields to inform her husband. According to his daughter, my mom said, you won the Nobel Peace Prize. And he said, no, I haven't. But it took some convincing, and he thought the whole thing was a hoax. Here's the point. Two immigrants decided to come to the U.S. and settle in Iowa. 
a young man decided to pursue a college education. At his school, he heard a professor talk about engineering food to improve yields and prevent disease. He decided to pursue a PhD. And one thing after another, including the former vice president of the United States asking for him, led to the preservation of millions of lives, millions of acres of farmland, and dramatic improvements in food production in India, West Africa, South America, and many other places on the planet. The butterfly effect of Norman Borlaug and small actions led to huge outcomes impacting billions of people and affecting the earth for years to come. Now, in telling this very story, author Andy Andrews said it really wasn't Borlaug, but in fact, Henry Wallace, the former vice president, who selected Borlaug to come to Mexico to work on making farming more productive, it was Wallace who created the butterfly effect. So what about you? Could it be that sometime this week or in your life, you will have the opportunity to create a butterfly effect for you, for your future, for your family, for other people, even for the world? Because I believe that Edward Lorenz was right. A flap of a seagull or a butterfly's wing in one part of the earth does change the weather. And in your life, the action you take on one day or sustain for many days does change life for you and others more than you think. And if that is true, then wouldn't the logical conclusion be that we should then pay attention to more of our small actions? Because anyone who's spent a few years on this planet knows that one choice made at the right or wrong time, can drastically change your life. Here's some real-life examples. One person wrote, We went to McDonald's when I was seven. I was having a final goodbye with my dad as I was moving away to Scotland with my mom. As a treat, he took me to McDonald's, but on the way, I changed my mind to Burger King. Then I changed my mind again, and we went back to McDonald's. Thank goodness I did, because the total stranger standing in the queue in front of us were a mom and a six-year-old daughter. We became friends, and her mom and my dad decided that we should all go to the park together. There, they swapped phone numbers and stayed in touch. After that, every time I visited, I would see the girl from McDonald's. A few years later, my dad and her mom got married, and my best friend got to be my sister. A decision to go to McDonald's made the difference. Another real-life example reads like this. 25 years old, working as a waitress bartender for five years, I went down to the local community college one late August day to just get some information about how to become a nurse. I sat down and talked with the professor, who, before I could even think about it or change my mind, signed me up on the spot. A year later, boom, I was an LPN. Fast forward six years, I was an RN. And now it's 30 years later, and I'm still at it. Now, in my own life, there have been a lot of such moments. When I was in high school, I needed to fill an elective credit, and I had one half of an hour credit to fill in my schedule. A counselor suggested that I take a typing class. Now, in those days, you didn't grow up using keyboards. Typing was something you learned when you were a little older, and you learned to type on an IBM electric typewriter. Well, the teacher of this class had a contagiously positive personality. She was a builder. She helped me feel confident. And as a result, I worked hard and became a pretty good typist. They even had typing competitions that I participated in, and I did okay. I loved the class. I loved the teacher. 
So much so that the next year, when I saw that she was teaching accounting, I took the class. I wasn't really interested in accounting, but I was interested in taking another class from her. And because of her, I did well in the class and I gained even more confidence. Well, fast forward to college. I started as an engineering major, but knew after my freshman year, I didn't want to be an engineer. But what path was I going to follow? What should I study? What should I do in my career? It was then that I thought back to what I was good at. And I remembered my high school accounting class. And I changed my major to business. And that has made all the difference in my life. All because a high school typing teacher took an extra interest in me and in my learning a topic that might otherwise seem small and pedestrian, but turned out to have a huge impact on me and my life. The scripture says, Behold the ships, which though they be so great and are driven by fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. In other words, Great winds, great weather patterns in our life can blow us one way or the other, but God uses the small things, the helm, to steer our life in the direction it should go, regardless of where the wind blows. It is by small and simple things that great things are brought to pass. So, here's the question. What small thing could you do or begin to do today that could have a lasting change in the patterns of your life? Well, here are a few suggestions. Perhaps you really want to get healthy, and you're looking for a small and simple way to do that. One suggestion is to add more strength training to your workout three times a week. Weight or strength training can help you prevent injury, it'll help you get stronger so that you can enjoy life, and it will change your body shape, which your spouse will love. And the very best result is that you will lose more weight. You see, cardio is the cornerstone of burning fat and controlling weight. And while cardio provides a greater calorie burn than the actual workout, I think many people may not know that strength training boosts your overall metabolism, meaning you burn more calories while at rest. One trainer explains, strength training builds muscle and increases lean body mass. And the more muscle and lean body mass you have in your body, the more calories you burn throughout the day even after your workout is over and when your body is resting. Imagine what adding more strength training could do for your health over the long term. A small butterfly effect on your future. Here's another. The BBC reported it like this. We all know that a balanced diet and exercise are important parts of staying healthy. But a growing body of research is showing that there's another factor that's even more important for keeping us in good shape both physically and mentally. It's our social connections. A landmark study found that the quality of someone's relationships is a bigger predictor of early death than obesity and physical inactivity and on par with smoking and alcohol consumption. The size of these effects really can't be overstated. They're enormous, says Tegan Kruis, a clinical psychologist. Research shows that having a strong romantic relationship leads to better mental health and that feeling connected to others decreases symptoms of depression, mitigates symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, and improves overall mental health. For decades, a landmark study has been underway at Harvard University. The participants in this study, who were students and young adults in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, were interviewed and given health exams throughout their lives to see 
What factors lead to health and happiness? Now, the study revealed that the causes of good and poor health. Interestingly, genetics, cholesterol, or stress didn't determine the quality of health beyond age 50. Rather, smoking, alcohol, weight, and exercise were the highest predictors of whether someone would be healthy. While smoking was the biggest contributor to poor health, exercise was the leveling factor. Consistent exercise led to greater health despite other harmful factors. Even for those who were overweight, if they included regular exercise in their life, they had significantly improved health and longevity. Now, while health was one emphasis of the study, the most surprising results came when researchers discovered what factors led to happiness in life. One of the most powerful determinations of happiness is our social connections. The director of the study said, we found perfectly good relationships will often wither away from neglect and the people who were best at having vibrant social networks were the people who took care of them, the people who were actively maintaining their connections with other people, and these were the happiest people in our study. The BBC said this, research shows that group-based social connections rather than individual relationships seem to be the most important for our cognitive health. There's research which shows that joining groups, such as belonging to a church or working in a community garden, can be an effective treatment for depression. Following 4,000 adults in England over six years, research found that not only did joining a social group alleviate symptoms of depression and reduce the risk of relapse, it also protected against future depression. Now, for years, I worked with really good people who were building a business by recruiting customers and partners to join them in their business endeavor. And this requires a proactive approach to meeting people and making the first move in a relationship. I noticed something very powerful. Those who were good at this were also those who seemed to be the most happy. And I saw people grow in their personal confidence the more social connections they developed. So, one small butterfly effect for your life could be your decision to reach out and establish more social connections. Remember, the research shows that connections in a group setting were more powerful to helping us be happy. And if this is true, think about the effect you could have on your children when they follow your lead and become people who easily make these social connections. There are clearly more benefits of taking your children to church than learning about God. Now, there are other small and simple things you can undertake to change the patterns in your life. And many of them aren't hard and don't require significant change to bring them about. Here is the Cleveland Clinic's suggestions for some of these simple things. First, use the stairs. If you use the stairs instead of the elevator to get to your apartment and you're three floors up, you'll burn eight extra pounds of fat a year. Another, drink one glass of water a day. It helps you keep your temperature normal, lubricates and cushions your joints, protects your spinal cord and other sensitive tissues, and helps you get rid of waste. Next, replace diet soda with water. Another, take a 30-minute walk each night. By the way, that's just long enough to listen to one episode of Open Your Eyes podcast. Another, go to bed and get up one half an hour earlier. When you're short on sleep, it reduces your body's production of hormones that suppresses appetite. 
which can contribute to weight gain. Plus, if you're like me, you do less at night and you're more productive in the morning. Here's another. Incorporate balance exercises into your exercise routine. (laughs) What? Over time, you'll become more agile and mobile if you do. Another, put greens and or lettuce into every meal. The fiber in lettuce helps you fill up, and it does so with just 20 calories per serving. Lettuces that are dark green and reddish in color are the most nutritious. You know that. But even the popular pale iceberg lettuce provides water, fiber, and folate. So you get the idea. Small things can have a butterfly effect. Now let's talk about perhaps the most significant butterfly effect that can happen to us and because of us. George Washington Carver was an American agricultural scientist who was born in 1864 and lived about 80 years. You've likely heard of him. Carver concentrated much of his life's work on researching and experimenting with new uses for peanuts, sweet potatoes, soybeans, pecans, and other crops. He was one of the most prominent black scientists of the early 20th century. While a professor at Tuskegee Institute, he developed techniques to improve types of soils depleted by repeated plantings of cotton. He wanted poor farmers to grow other crops, such as peanuts and sweet potatoes, as a source of their own food and to improve their yields, financial return, and quality of their life. He revolutionized crop rotation by making many farmers in the South more productive and bringing them out of poverty to prosperity as a result. But here's the effect one person had on George, as told by Andy Andrews. Moses and his wife Susan lived in a slave state, but they didn't believe in slavery. This was a problem for the psychopaths like Quantrill's raiders who terrorized the area by destroying property, burning, and killing. Sure enough, one cold January night, the raiders rode through Moses' farm. They burned the barn, shot several people, and dragged off a woman named Mary Washington who refused to let go of her infant son named George. Now, Mary was Susan's best friend, and Moses sent word through the adjoining towns and somehow secured a meeting with the bandits. On a black horse, Moses rode several hours north to a crossroads in Kansas to meet them. In the middle of the night, he met four of the raiders. They were on horseback, carrying torches, with flour sacks over their heads and holes cut out for their eyes. There, Moses traded his only horse for what they threw to him in a dirty burlap bag. Inside the bag was a naked, almost dead baby boy. Quickly, he opened his coat and placed the child next to the warmth of his chest. He covered him with his own clothes, and he walked home. He walked through the night and got the child to safety. To honor the child's mother, he later helped educate the child, just as she would have wanted. That boy's name? George Washington Carver. Now, there are people in your life. The small things you can do for them can and will not only have an effect on their life, but will ripple through the generations to impact more people than you think. A kind word, some encouragement, a helping hand, a positive effort can go a long way. And the truth is, when it comes to people, everything we do matters. For me, I have resolved to do better with people. Each time I interact with them, I want to remember I can have a butterfly effect. You've been placed here on this earth to have an effect, and you have within you the power to make a difference, 
to change the world by small things you do to help other people. If you're building a business, never doubt the lasting effect of your serving and smiling. If you're raising a family, remember, in the midst of those trying days, you are having an effect by the small sacrifices you make. So, as we end today, remember, you are unique. And God has likely placed you in your circumstances for a reason, to have a butterfly effect on those around you. Remember, it doesn't have to be something big, just small and simple. And like a butterfly's wings change the weather patterns on this planet, so you too can change the patterns in your life and impact the world around you in significant ways. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.